Don't wanna live as an untold story Rather go out in a blaze of glory I can't Welcome back, 65 and 60, and maybe even Fixed Wing now, uh, Flight Suit Friday podcast listeners. Yeah, so many listeners. Or it might just be my mom. I'm no. not really sure who's listening to this anymore. We got a bunch of iTunes reviews now. Yeah? Yeah, some of them from uh, Fixed Wing guys. Did really? I yeah. thought it was just your mom and my mom. Uh, no. Well, yeah. well, my dad, now that you got the shout out, like, won't stop bugging me about it. I think he's sending us more beer. Oh, that's good. Well, anyways, folks, uh, Sam Hafenstein, one of your uh, podcast hosts here. So good to have you guys back. And I'm sitting here with our very own producer, Ryan Vandehei. How's it going, Ryan? Hello, hello. Yeah, we're, we're missing Kenny right now. He's back, uh, I don't know, crushing student souls back in Mobile, Alabama. Sorry, Kenny. Yeah, all the student feedback forms have been coming back. His yeah. name is plastered over them. Hot and heavy. Yeah. yeah. Um, I actually hit record this time too. So we are live. We are live. Yeah. Good. Well, Good. live ish six weeks from now. Yeah. So uh, we're still out here in Astoria and we're, uh, we got a really exciting show for you. Um, it has been a difficult time trying to track down these, uh, these wild, uh, uh, rarely seen wonderful people out there in the Coast Guard community, rescue swimmers. Uh, a humble brand and uh, not not often willing to tout their uh, their successes, but uh, they have some really exciting stories, and we're looking forward to getting into it. So, uh, with that, you got anything else, Ry? Want to do this? Uh, yeah, I'm pulling up the iTunes review. What's this review you want to read? Uh, hey, even Casa guys can learn a thing or two from this podcast. Smiley face. Really? Yeah, dude. That's impressive. We obviously, have to read that out. All right. Well, uh, Casa guys, we'll learn how the rescue swimmers pack your something or others on the uh, on the back of the plane. I don't know what you guys do with the Casas, but we'll figure that out. Also, oh, we're yeah, not ready. So here, we'll start re-recording. Oh, we uh, already started re-recording. Oh, Let's keep already. going, dude. Yeah, Chuck's going to hate us. For all the listeners out there, Chuck makes us sound amazing. He does all the editing, and we do our best to mess things up. And we apologize for that, Chuck. Thank you. Just a heartfelt thanks to Chuck. Heartfelt thanks to Chuck. I think yeah. the listeners need to hear that. So. I like that. Uh, hey, well, before we start, one more thing. What uh, what are you drinking over there? Oh, I've got a Renoir. A Renoir. It is uh, one of the classiest beers in the Pacific Northwest. Shout out to my brother-in-law. Yeah. I believe it's his favorite. Uh, yeah, honestly, like the mountains can be blue. That's okay. I need a Renoir in my hand. That, that's what I need. Well, I'm drinking some Woodford, so I'm enjoying this. And uh, listeners, why not uh, jump into this? All right, guys, podcast listeners, we are jumping in with uh, two very well-esteemed, established uh, Coast Guard rescue swimmers. Um, Senior Chief Brian Kirkendall, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited. And uh, AST1 Rob Simpson. Greetings. Hey, sir. It's great to have you guys in here. This is really exciting. Um, senior, we, we can start with you. You want to just give us a little bit of a background? Uh, maybe where are you from? Your sure. career, yeah. you know, favorite color kind of thing. <laughs> so I grew up in uh, Anchorage, Alaska. Listed when I was 20. You're from Anchorage, Alaska? Yes, sir. I didn't know that. Yep. No way. Well, you look like a bear. <laughs> yeah. You fit in. <laughs> okay. All right. I guess that's good. It, guys in Savannah used to call me the polar bear, but <laughs> it makes sense. Uh, then. Yeah, okay. <laughs> But yeah, I grew up in Alaska, enlisted when I was 20, and have uh, lived everywhere else since. So I, uh, yeah, I actually just hit 20 years this month. So congrats. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah, it's huge. Yeah. So uh, my first unit out of school was the uh, Cutter Sundew, which is not to date myself. It's a 180 foot buoy tender. Oh, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Since uh, decommissioned. And um, so I was on the boat, and then 
I uh, struck BM, so I was a BM3, and I was like, oh, this is terrible. And uh, <laughs> so I went to, uh, I back then they had an airman program, uh-huh. which was the greatest thing ever, which I hadn't got rid of that. And I uh, went to Air Station Traverse City, did my airman program, and under the uh, uh, tutelage of uh, uh, AST2 Eric Bean, who's now, of course, our rating force master chief, the yeah. legend, uh, Senior Chief uh, Dace Combs, who's a league chief in Detroit, who's my best friend. Yep. And then uh, Senior Chief Nick Gilmore, he's in uh, Kodiak, the Senior Chief in the shop in Kodiak. That's cool. Um, so they uh, trained me and prepared me very well for ACA school. After I graduated from ACA school, I went back to Traverse City. I was there for a year and an opportunity came up for me to mutual to go to New Orleans. So I, I took that and went to New Orleans for two years, which was amazing. Um, I saw in the show notes, you're asking about Alaska SAR, uh-huh. nothing about New Orleans SAR. Well, we'll get to New Orleans. Okay. Yeah, don't right. you worry. We'll get in there. All right. That's the, that's the heat of the SAR. Yep. Right Man, there. you ain't kidding. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I was there from, uh, six to eight, 2006, 2008. And then I went to uh, air station Savannah from, uh, eight to 12, which was also like super cool. That was amazing. And then I went to the shop in Elizabeth city. Mm-hmm. I was there for just shy of a year. And then, uh, I went to the schoolhouse and I was an instructor there for four years leaving the chief's test in May. I took in 2017. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to uh, Detroit and made advanced to chief off that 2017 test. And then I was in Detroit for four and then advanced to senior chief and here I am. So, so you've been a 65 guy essentially through pretty much, most yeah. of your career. Yeah. So I gotta, I gotta let the listeners know what's your weight with gear senior? Uh, with gear, I, I'm like 280, 285. 285, yeah. 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 <laughs> I try to strip it down as much as I can. But you know the listeners are going to think I'm like this hideous chud now. Right? Okay, hold on. Next oh, second, no, 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 no. Follow yeah. up. Yeah. What, how much? How much can you front squat, senior? Uh, so I actually hit 395 today, which was that's uh, not my PR, but it's that's close. So two of me. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah, you know, makes me feel yeah. young again. I guess small potatoes. But, yeah. yeah. Oh, hey. Hey, Everyone, everyone's got yeah, their thing, For all right? the listeners, when I said bear, you know, <laughs> bears aren't just these like fat animals. Bears are very muscular and would probably rip your head off. Oh, well. I don't think that you'd rip my head off. I think you could off. throw the word Teddy in front of bear. Teddy? Though, oh, you can. Yeah, he's a nice yeah. guy. Yeah, well, yeah. Senior, it's awesome having you here. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah. It's super cool. So. Hey, Rob, you want to follow up that uh, awesome intro by Senior Chief? It's a hard act to follow. And he's um, holding you're a the knife man in his hand it. just in case <laughs> the pair yeah, up for this. I just think it's super weird he brought a dagger with him. But. Uh, wasn't it uh, General Mattis said, be nice, be respectful, but have a plan to kill everybody <laughs> in the room? <laughs> yeah, right? so just now I'm pulling you out with me. Okay, right, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I was a Navy brat. Okay. I grew up. My dad was a uh, orthopedic surgeon in the Navy, so we moved around a bunch growing up. But I graduated high school in Virginia and went to James Madison University for a year, and I wasted a bunch of my time <laughs> and my parents' money. Um, I knew I wasn't going anywhere with that. So uh, Did you I, have any fun? I had a, too much fun. Okay, I good. had enough fun for all of us. That's good. Um, but I pulled the ripcord. And uh, joined the Coast Guard and uh, didn't have any direction, really. Um, I ended up going to Bosa Made A School, so we share that senior. I was a BM3 for a tour on the Coast Guard Cutter Diligence, which you know you're getting old when you're home ported in Wilmington and now it's in Pensacola. Oh, right? yeah. So that's kind of wild to think that that, that um, has changed. Um, but uh, I had a great time as a BM. I I learned a lot and grew up a lot and basically did every mission of the Coast Guard except for break ice. So it was a good move. And then uh, 
I kind of took a leap of faith when I, when I joined the coast guard, I wanted to be a swimmer, but I was young and dumb uh-huh. and I brought it up to the recruiter, you know, and she said she'd never seen a swimmer as tall as me. <laughs> and I did zero research. I just said, okay, cool. I'm too tall. So I'll just be a bosom mate. How tall are you? I'm six, four. I'm not, not okay. that tall. Yeah. Um, it's about as wide as senior chief is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm the size of one of seniors thighs. <laughs> um, in a good way, in a very <laughs> okay, way. in a muscular way. <laughs> yeah. Got it. So, what made you uh, pursue swimmer after being told that you were too tall to get into it? I, it's uh, so I was on the boat with a bunch of guys who were training to be swimmers, and uh, we trained together. And a couple of them ended up making it through school. And I was either going to go back to school, like get out of the Coast Guard and go to school which didn't sound like a great idea because I still had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, so I just kind of rolled the dice. I was like, this sounds awesome. It's what I wanted to really look into when I joined the Coast Guard. Mm-hmm. And uh, I lateral over and never looked back. It was awesome. I went to A school in 2006 and uh, slipped through the cracks and made it through and uh, ended up in Atlantic City. That was my first unit, which was a great experience. A lot of flying. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I went to Sitka which was awesome. That was a great experience as well. From there, I went to Traverse City and was there for the aircraft transition, which is another great experience uh, to kind of be there for, for all of that. Yeah. And then uh, I ended up on the RS stand team. That's awesome. Sounds like a great, great job so far. Great storied career so far. A lot of exciting places to live. and It's pretty diverse. Yeah, I've had a pretty, you know, East Coast, West Coast, Alaska, Great Lakes, now in the Gulf. So, so you're at 20 as well? Are you about to? Uh, I just hit 19 this month, sir. Congrats. So, oh, thanks. Thanks, sir. That's awesome. Sweet. Welcome, guys. Well, you guys are a couple of legends, you know. But, uh, <laughs> no way. Yeah. No, in our own sir. mind, maybe. <laughs> no, Aren't we all? Uh, um, but how have you liked being in, in Mobile at the stand team? I know, senior, you're pretty new at the stand team, but like, how do you guys like it so far? And where's the team going? Um, I, me personally, I love it. Like it's, it's, um, it's super rewarding, um, getting to come to work with, uh, you know, I walk in the office, I'm surrounded by Ernie Charles and Chad Smoller and Rob Simpson and Brad Simmons and Corey Fix and Brad Bagash and Randy Hobbit, like these truly just amazing professionals Mm -hmm. that they just make it happen. Like it's, uh, you know, when I come in the office is I feel like, I'm already behind because they are just crushing it. Yeah. And I want, and it's constantly in my mind, like, man, am I doing enough? Like, am I doing enough where, um, they're thinking, come on senior, like get on board or something like that, you know? Um, but they're phenomenal. I mean, they're the utmost professionals. Um, and I think what I uh, respect most about them is which, what I want, um, is that they tell me when I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. I don't want someone to tell me when I'm right. I want someone to tell me when I'm wrong. Yeah. Um, and there we've had discussions where I had a vision of this um, and they're like, no, that's, that's, that's not a good way to do it. Or, Hey, we need to come back to that at a later time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been great. Like, awesome. Yeah. Thank you for, you know, stopping me from doing something stupid that I'm going to regret later. Um, being in that position in our office, nothing we do is in a vacuum, right? Like, there will be ripple effects. Mm-hmm. And so we need to be very methodical and thoughtful about the stuff that we do and communicate that to the field. And um, so, yeah, I love coming to work because 
we're in this position where we can really affect positive change. And when you have um, the professionals around you too, that all at the end of the day, they just want what the very best is for the rate. Um, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. We're all pulling the same direction and uh, what a great cadre of people to work with. Oh yeah. You know, you know I have myself, chief Haba and chief Pagash. Yep. Randy and I were stationed in city back in the day, right? As seconds. Randy is God's little helper. That guy, so many big cases. Um, he's been the dude. I mean, he was the first guy out there on the bounty, uh-huh. uh, which was wow. a huge historic case. Um, he was amazing. And then Brad Pagaj is probably one of the most knowledgeable guys about our rate and about the nuances about the air ops manual, the RS manual and policy. Um, there's been times like, Brad, does this make sense? Can we do this? And he'll, he's my checks and balances. Mm-hmm. Um, and I honestly, I could go down the line and, and just speak great accolades about every single one of them. They're just, they're awesome. And I will tell you, I, if I don't mention Alima, Chief Maeva out of Hawaii, because he's the one who um, I had my pass down from him. Mm-hmm. Dude, I can't. Again, he led that culture and I'm just stepping into it, but he's the one that set the foundation. And it's um, it's really remarkable. I'm no Alima, you know? So, yeah. I, so I constantly feel like, man, ugh, am, I, am I doing enough? Um, but yeah, I love coming to work. Yeah, it's, there are it's, probably plenty of us that have worked with Alima Maeva and have all come away with the same thing. Like, wow, that guy, like he is awesome. Yeah. He really just, he pushes this yeah. amazing agenda of just self-improvement and yeah. just crushing, crushing the next thing. You kind of feel bad after talking like, man, yeah. I'm let my, I'm not giving, <laughs> yeah. my, I'm not doing enough work on myself. I didn't do a know? 30 mile run this morning in a 60 pound vest. Cool, yeah, Lima. exactly. Yeah. What about you, Rob? What's, what's it like being a first on the uh, stand team? Uh, it's a great experience. Yeah. Um, it, it affords someone in my position to see a little bit more of uh, what goes on behind the scenes mm-hmm. and understand how policy is made and what senior said, the ripple effects. When a decision is made, um, it's not in a vacuum. It does affect the fleet. So it's been great to be part of little changes or tweaks to policy or procedures that have had positive effects in mm-hmm. the fleet. Yeah. That's probably the coolest part. That's awesome. Coming here and seeing that. Yeah. I will say if I could jump in there, not to, you know, pump up any egos even more and stuff, but like it's been really refreshing working with you guys too and like TTP stuff. I love how that shop is just thinks outside the box and questions things in a good way. You know, it's like we'll read something on the TTP and we'll be talking about it. And someone's like, Rob, I think you were one time was like, hey, what if what if we think about this differently, you know? And it might like derail the conversation for a moment, but we're going to come up with such a better product because we just, oh yeah, is that, that's the way it's always been done? Does it need to always have been done like that? Or, you know, can we do it better? Uh, Your shop over the last few years has made so many great gains because they just question the foundations of what's happening. And that's such a valuable part of the culture. And I think that senior goes to what you were fostering of like, don't tell me what I'm doing right. Let's try to make this better, you know? And so just to give a big shout out to you guys, I've really enjoyed working with you on those projects. Oh, thank you. I One of the big changes that we made is like deploying with the sling in different yeah. ways. And then we get a text or get an email or like video footage or something of someone making it, doing out on scene. And, 
And that was before me. Like I had nothing to do with that, you know, but yeah, that's just the culture that Alimus, you know, built and they all bought in and, and here's this awesome product. This awesome new procedure was the end result of it. So yeah. That was you guys sitting around the shop one day, wasn't it? Um, I forget how that came about. I feel like it came out with Randy Lopez, maybe in Puerto Rico, jumping out with a sling. I remember he had a case that might've been part of it. Yeah. That um, sounds about right. Uh, yeah, for for those listeners who have no idea what we're talking about, um, the swimmer shop has approved and put in their new manual that the swimmers can deploy in a free fall or a harness with the sling in hand. Um, and then that provides extra flotation device to the survivor in the water, as well as making, and I want to reiterate this for you guys, a significantly easier hoist for us up there. Like dropping the bear hook down to you guys is so much easier than trying to float that sling that's flying all over the place. And then conning us all over the place trying to get your plum. Man, that bear hook is so much better because you grab in your hand, hook up, boom, you're already out of the water. Not, not to sound like a total meathead, but let's hear it. The signal for, you know, bear hook pickup. Oh, it's so sweet. Dude, now I have a legitimate reason to do more curls to get my arms bigger. <laughs> I need to make sure you can see the <laughs> yeah, vision. You know, the signal. Who created that? that? The the bicep curl signal for think, bear hook. I think that was uh, AST1 Ernie Child. Was nice. it really? <laughs> oh, yeah. You can actually see that that's his outline of his bicep. Oh, my God. That's awesome. Um, Rob, why are we in Astoria right now, man? What are we doing here? Uh, we are here for the fall session of advanced helicopter rescue school. Yeah. What's that all about? At least in terms of a rescue swimmer, what's good out here? What are we doing? Uh, well, everything, this, this school has a legacy of preparing swimmers for what they'll see in the field and, and air crew in general. The, the school has grown immensely from when I first went through it, I think is 2007 mm -hmm. where it was called the advanced rescue swimmer school. Now it's the advanced helicopter rescue school. Mm -hmm. So it's everybody. Um, but swimmers get a lot out of this. And I mean, I, I went through the school three times as a student. And uh, I think the most important thing that will get zapped into s swimmers when they come here is it, it rejuvenates you for the job. So mm -hmm. we go through our A school and our training and, and then you go to a unit and it's easy to get sucked into maintenance and flight schedule and weekend duty, which is all great. It's all great parts of the job, but you forget that like jumping into 15 foot seas is awesome and super mm -hmm. fun and a valuable skill to have. And we just get to spend a week with these students doing that, doing that. Yeah. yeah. Yes, sir. And like starting the new phase of urban search and rescue inland SAR, all that kind of good stuff. So senior, you said you're from new Orleans. I'm sure you've responded to some hurricanes before. I was only there for two years, so we didn't really. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. I got to New Orleans the year after Katrina. Okay. You know? Yeah. Um, but we do it all the time, right? And I think that's awesome that as aviation professionals, like we're able to think outside the box on scene, how to effectively affect the rescue and yeah. how we make it happen. But now there's a more standard training piece to kind of help people along the way. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's super cool. Are you guys happy about the change that it's become more aircrew inclusive. I know as a rescue swimmer, it you take ownership of the school, but now like you said, Rob, it has grown. So what are your thoughts on that? Is there a lot of value in that? It's insurmountable value. Hands down. Well, we love it. We're happy. I mean, Sam and I wouldn't be here. If it was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just for you guys. But <laughs> well, the evolution was a natural progression in my humble opinion. And this is just from an underlings perspective is that 
when we go and execute a SAR case, it's not just the swimmer. Mm-hmm. It is the entire crew. Yeah. And what are we really doing out here is it's really just an advanced communications course. We're just teaching air crews how to speak to each other in a way where they can better affect a rescue in, in gnarly conditions. And that's what the whole school is. That's like the, the magic behind the sauce is that we're just teaching people how to talk to each other better to, to do this. And it, if it focused just on the rescue swimmer, it wouldn't happen. That growth wouldn't happen for the air crews. So I think it's a great transition. And to all those who came before us that directed the school in this direction, like it's just awesome. You know, we'll impact the water a hundredth of a second behind you guys. So <laughs> I think true. So I think it's, it's best that, Everything that we're learning, you guys need to learn too and yeah. vice versa because it's a coordinated team effort. And there was something I, I was just telling the guys uh, today, we're out just you doing know. last minute prep stuff. And I was telling them when I was hanging out the door, going through the canopy, hey, you know, when you guys are talking this, tell, talk about how the, you know, surround the hook, take one last look before they start going down the trees, make sure you're in a good uh, position because the pilots are facing forward, the flight mech's looking down check behind you, mm-hmm. right? Because it's real easy for the pilot to like maybe start backing down and you guys came up over a tree to get a good hover position, do a quick aerial sweep before you start going down. That's a small piece, but it could really make the difference between blades hitting the trees or not. And then you got a much bigger problem, so. Oh yeah, for me, um, like th- there's nothing more, uh, I won't say it's heart wrenching, but like just maybe a gut punch for me, um, when I'm flying, doesn't matter like if my landing's not great, but when I jerk one of you guys when I'm doing a hoist, um, it like immediately makes me feel terrible up front, right? I'm like, I did not do that hoist well enough to keep you guys safe and comfortable in the water to affect whatever rescue you are. And like when you do big seas rescues out here, like that it happens more often, right? But we train enough so that hopefully it doesn't happen as often as it does. Um so like I always reflect a lot when I come back from a flight on, hey, like I could have done that a lot better. I could have communicated with the flight mech better. I'm curious to see what your guys' opinions are because I know you guys have been jerked around what hundreds of times by us dumb idiots up in the front seat driving the school. It's only been build up week so far. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, you've already gotten a couple this week. <laughs> yeah. uh, how how do you get through when that happens to you guys and, and what's your thought process? Um, are you guys like cursing us up front? Cause if I was in the water sometimes, I think I would be cursing, uh, the pilots up front, but I don't know. What do you think? Uh, I think it's so from the water, you can tell if it's a pilot or the flight Mac. Yeah. Right? Um, but for me, dude, none of you guys would do it on purpose. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we're talking about, you know, earlier, you know, why I lift and lift weights and stuff. I lift weights because when I get jerked like I did the other day and skipped across the water, that keeps me protected. Yeah. That was so, a 60, by the way, for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Just so like that, like that. So for me, I prepare myself for it. I try to say, hey, when you come back to the plane, you guys okay? Are we all right? Yep. Continue on. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I don't take it personally. Like if it, if it was a continued thing, then it's like, all right, we need to talk about this. Like, are yeah. you okay to be in the right seat or are you having trouble maintaining your reference at night? Or the flight mech, like, hey, are you having trouble controlling the hoist? Um, but it happens. Yeah. Um, and it's on me to do my best to physically prepare to, to take that. And I've been super fortunate, like in my 
16, 17 years of being an AC, like I've never got hurt on a hoist. Like I've been, like I've been sore before, but nothing mm-hmm. where like I gotta, I gotta, you know, I have to be grounded for it. So yeah, yeah. How about you, Rob? Yeah, I've never taken it personally. Um, no one would ever willfully hurt somebody else. So no. it's it's a learning, yeah. especially out here at Aharst, it's a learning environment, and and we're teaching ways to mitigate that in very dynamic conditions. So there's going to be a learning curve and all of us understand that even the students, when they come here, they know it's going to be an a game type of situation. So, um, when I'm in the water and things are getting a little dicey, um, put your hand that's okay. Is that put your hand on the hoist hook so you can get it off of you? Yeah. Quick. All, all that <laughs> stuff. Or, or uh, when we, we teach uh, dragging out here, like dragging yeah. is, is very acceptable out here. And, and at some units, if, if, uh, like a local FMI sees a, a candidate dragging, like they might be like, Hey, don't drag the swimmer or the swimmer might come up in the cabin and say, Hey, don't drag me. But out here I'd rather be dragged all day long than, than jerked. And, and that's kind of how we teach things out here. Is yeah. that, that's okay. That's Constant nice. pressure on it. <laughs> I, I think it would be super beneficial as pilots are going through their first pilot syllabus to get hoisted in the sling. Yeah. Because just, I mean, that is not comfortable. No at all. And I've done it once and yeah. it's very uncomfortable. If, if your back is crooked, it won't be after that. Yeah. Um, but I think it would be a good eye-opening experience. Just like, you don't have to like, you know, jerk them around, but just like, oh, this is kind of what it feels like and it's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I just think it would give, you know, new pilots a good perspective, but. Yeah, no, that's a good yeah, one. I like that. Um, let's dive a little bit into like what it takes to be what you guys are. Um, first serious question do they have the ice baths at the Coast Guard Rescue Swimmer School that and they is have? Kevin Costner always in the Guardian. At the school? Yeah, or? like how does that work out? Are, do actually do you guys actually have ice baths at the Rescue Swimmer School? Only for recovery. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because I was kind of hoping that was true because it was pretty hysterical. No, like, I I haven't been to the you know it's been a few years since I was at the schoolhouse, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So I, talk. I, what's the what's the physical requirements of becoming a rescue swimmer other um, than height? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, there's an entry level like PT test, but um, honestly, I, if you're somewhat competent in the, in the pool, mm-hmm. um, you'll get better just by being there. If you can tread water, uh, that gives you a leg up for sure. But GPP is the biggest thing. And that's general physical preparedness. When I was an instructor, if some student shows up and he's like, oh, I, I swam in high school and all this stuff, or I was a surfer, that doesn't mean anything to me. I want somebody who is an athlete, you know, who it can handle themselves in multiple different arenas, right? We're mm-hmm. just talking about the inland and urban SAR piece, right? Um, so our job is progressing to where it's not just we're in the water swimming. I want somebody who's comfortable moving an external load to themselves. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we see a lot of like body weight ninjas and and that's great. That's awesome. There's there's definitely a place for that. But having a guy who's comfortable in the water, has strong water confidence, but can also move an external load, I think that's that's key for sure. Yeah. Um but most importantly, and this isn't physical, it's it's mental, but like having a strong mind, that's that's probably the biggest key. Yeah. Same for you. Uh my perspective is a little different than seniors because I only have the student experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was getting ready for a school, I think it was master chief Flythe who had a quote circulating around about how swimmers are 
found. They're not made. Um, does that sound right, senior? Yes, sounds, yes um, sir. And uh, I think that really the training process, at least when I went through in 06, was more of an excavation process. Like it strips away your layers to where you're really kind of at your base level. And if you're cool, calm, collected, you really want to do this job. Like the instructors were very good at testing you at the bottom of the pool and being like, you really want to do this? And if the answer was yes, then you'd make it through eventually. You know, you'd have to be like a physical stud. I mean, you would end up being that way. The school is designed to create that in you if you're not already there. Um, but uh, I think it, 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 it finds people who are willing to suffer and be a little cold and be a little uncomfortable. And, mm -hmm. and there is a definite dedication to the job that, that has to be there. Um, that's, that's kind of my take on it. Is it just finds people who are willing to be, cause we don't get paid a lot of money. Yeah. And, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's the, the reward is the job. Yeah. So I think that's kind of what, what you're really looking for in, in swimmers and how, how do you prepare for it? And like, just really just want to do it. You know, the core values of the coast guard are honor, respect, devotion to duty. And I think, that devotion to duty is really tested through a school. And if that's mm -hmm. what you want to do, then you'll, you'll make it and do the job. I like that. Yeah. You know, Rob was talking about suffering and, I, and what you need to be willing to do mm -hmm. is willing to suffer and sacrifice for somebody else, mm -hmm. because that's what we're looking for. It's not us, right? I mean, it's us a little bit, but really we're on duty to save that poor guy that's due to negligence or just bad luck to bring him home to his family and to his friends. And um, I don't know, I love what we do and I'm very passionate about our job. And especially in this time, like we're looking for someone who's willing to serve humanity because it's not just American citizens. It's just not just somebody who has a COVID vaccine or doesn't have a COVID vaccine. Like we don't care. We're out there. If the American public, the people, they need that comfort to know that, hey, you know, if something bad happens, like- You got somebody out there for Yeah, you. we're going for you. We're here in Astoria. If that alarm goes off or they say, hey, the 60s in Astoria are all down. We need a crew. We're all racing. Yeah. And that's what we're looking for. We're looking for people who are willing to put themselves on the line for somebody else. And like I said, not to romanticize it, but um, that's really what it is. Yeah, that devotion to duty, that dedication. Um, a random question popped into my head. Putting on your swimmer gear, does that feel completely natural to you now? Like, do you not even think about the goggles and the fins and everything? Because I've worn the swimmer gear and I've swam through surf before in it and the Triton just feels dragging and I feel like I can't swim anymore. <laughs> you know, because I'm that guy who swims in the pool, right? I swim laps with a bathing suit on and <laughs> a pair of goggles. It's super easy. Um, is that just normal to you guys now, pretty much? I don't like swimming without it, honestly. Do so, you really? Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Rob? Yeah, the same. It feels weird to not have fins Not on. have it on. Yeah. yeah. I'd imagine. It's so different, but it makes sense because you guys put it on all the time. Yeah, I'm, I'm the guy who doesn't even take the harness off when we land for fuel. I, I keep everything on Do all really? the time. I just, yeah. yeah I, Me too. I love it. Is the Coast Guard asking more of swimmers now than when you first started as a swimmer? The scope of the job has expanded. So in that, yes, it's not like the Coast Guard is demanding more of us. It's that we're, we're being asked as an organization to do more in different places than we were traditionally tasked to do that. So by extension, yes, we are responding to a more diverse mission set mm -hmm. when our program was brought in. Yeah. How do you prepare for it? 
like physically or physically, or is there additional stuff that you think that is required by rescue swimmers training wise that they should get so that they are ready to answer the Coast Guard's call for whatever mission that might be? Uh, yeah, yes, sir. I mean, absolutely. hundred yeah. percent. If, if we're going to be tasking people to do things, um, that are outside of their normal scope, mm-hmm. then there should be a training curriculum for that specific thing. Um, and, I think it's a testament to the caliber of person that has been doing this job and the amount of professionalism they've had that there hasn't been people hurting themselves, say in Katrina, when you just handed a bunch of swimmers axes and chainsaws and started deploying them. Hey, they are a bunch of professionals. They made it happen. Same thing happens at every natural disaster. Um, they get tasked to do things that are outside their normal scope. And we as an organization, and in this instance, swimmers, they check the box every time. Um, and and it's awesome. And it's so impressive. If you look at it from, if you take a step back and detach from it and look at it and say, Hey, we're asking people to do things they've never been trained to do and they're doing it and they're doing it. Awesome. From an organizational standpoint, you can go, wow, we're really lucky right now that no one has hurt themselves. So yeah, to answer your question yet, there should be training curriculums put into place, um, for these, these different missions that we're being tasked to do. And we're trying very hard and, and things are changing for the better where um, commands and, and swimmer shops are able to stand up their own training curriculums and it's being supported now. Uh, you know, that's, that's one of the great parts of being on the stand teams. We get to go to units and one year they're saying, Hey, we really want to stand up a vertical surface program. These are the hurdles we're facing. And then we go back the next year after giving a little bit of feedback and they have an awesome vertical surface program mm-hmm. um, and they're training it and they're expanding that skill set at the unit level, which is great to see. Um, so yeah, the, the big way to improve is by standing up training programs. Yeah, those additional training programs. I think uh, there's a quote by one of the smartest ASTs I've ever been around, and that's Chad Smoller. And uh, he says, We're all, we are our own worst enemy because we don't fail. And yeah. uh, I mean, and that could be expanded to the Coast Guard, to be honest. Yeah, like, on, we are yeah, our 100%. own worst enemy because we don't fail. Yeah. And yep. so we keep layering on. And like I said, it's it's I think it's a testament to our professionalism in our aviation community of how it's on the line we make it happen we get the job done safely yeah I um it makes me think of uh one of the listeners that I've talked to in in Mobile and and he says he listens a lot to this podcast because he gets specific rescue tips from rescue swimmers when they're talking about their cases of of things they've employed and he's like oh I'm gonna add that to my tool belt right so um, those additional trainings, like what do you guys think would be most valuable for swimmers? Like, are we talking ropes, uh, courses? Cause you know, we talked to Nate Newberg who belayed down a fire hose, right. And he wouldn't have belayed down a fire hose if he didn't have some sort of training on how to do, you know, ropes courses or somebody who may have done a swift water rescue who hasn't who actually been to a like priority one swift water rescue course or something. Um, are there certain trainings that you guys want to see? in the swimmer rate that becomes more consistent no matter where you are? Yes, sir. Um, you like how I, yeah, you, you know, just stare at Rob. That was like, a super hard question. That was amazing. No, I, I will, here, I'll, I mean, it's I'll a go. freebie. Who cares? <laughs> yeah. Like, what do you guys want for the rate? Uh, we have millions and millions of listeners. <laughs> that's my mom in upstate New York. So that's their only listener you're talking to. So if you're asking Brian Kirkendall's opinion, right? Yep. I want us to be more the jack of all trades. Like I want us to be able to, when we show up on duty, 
not just check our swimmer gear bag, but we're going to check our ropes bag. We're mm-hmm. going to check uh, maybe our advanced EMT kit. We're going to look at our swift water stuff, things like that. We get so focused on just the RS portion that mm-hmm. really, like like we talked about, our job's expanding. And so having uh, training programs that are available to us that is standard across the fleet would be amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, Chief Hansley in, in North Bend, they're doing awesome stuff there. They've had some wild inland SAR cases. Yeah, there. I mean, yeah. yeah, that's and credit to him for recognizing a need and, and making it happen. And one thing that since I've got to stand that I'm trying to really encourage is units coming back to us about like, hey, we developed this really cool training program. We had these really awesome results. Great. Let us know. Tell us the lessons learned. Give us an after action report because if it worked for you there, it'll work for everyone. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I'm trying to just encourage a great relationship with all the shop chiefs and have them comfortable with saying, hey, we developed this or we tried this out. It was awesome. Perfect. I love mm-hmm. it. Send it so we can add it to the portal page so we can get that message out. Um, I think it was, was it North Bend that did the Garmin thing? That was uh, all Tech or all I think, didn't they, were you talking about the testing or? No, that had the guy from Garmin come in and actually give like a detail. Oh, I don't know. I'm not sure. I think it was, I think it was North Bend when they were doing their, one of their Inland Star exercises, mm-hmm. but they actually had a guy from Garmin come in and give the class this really thorough understanding of our watch. So we can like, you know, if they are stuck inland, I mean, they can plot their course. They can know how to get out of it. Yeah. Um, and we got the PowerPoint. We're going to put that on the portal. So it's available to everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not staffed to be able to do all these cool courses and take it back and say, hey, this is now the standard amongst the fleet. And all this. I want the other chiefs to, hey, do something cool. Let us know how it worked. We'll chew on it as a staff. Maybe say, hey, have you thought about this? And let's see how we can make the product better if mm-hmm. it can be. And we'll send it out to the fleet. So that yeah, that's great. I mean, uh, it makes me think about our community, Ryan, where... How often have you seen like a training from Detroit if you're stationed at Humboldt, right? And Detroit probably has something specific that they do that could apply to uh, Humboldt or some other West Coast unit, right? So, yeah, even going on stand visits, I've learned a ton from other pilots and the shops over there, those boardrooms. And yeah, we don't always share our internal knowledge sometimes, which is kind of interesting. But I I like that you guys are doing that. That's really cool. I think. Sometimes people, and this is just like I said, I've only been here a little while, but sometimes I think the perception of Stan is like, oh, we have to kind of like be super squared away and stay in this box. And it's because your picture's floating around everywhere and everyone's scared, you know? (laughs) But, but, you know, my perspective is, is like, this is the unit's opportunity to show like what's working. Like, hey, this is something that we were facing in our AOR, or this is a new process that we're doing. And, Hey, this is something really cool. That is awesome. Mm-hmm. Hey, yeah, we need to share that with other units. So, um, yeah, I'm hoping that we can kind of change that paradigm a little bit. Yeah. Kind of pinging off that a little bit. What's an out of the box technique or an out of the box thing that you had to come up with maybe on the fly or just in your career that maybe just adds a tool to somebody else's toolbox? I don't know what you would call this, but uh, I was in Savannah. And we had a case, it was like 30 miles offshore. Uh, there was only one dude in a sailboat and he was, I guess, seasick or something, but he was incapacitated and his boat was taken on water. Mm-hmm. So I, I remember talking to the pilots, talking to the crew. I said, all right, put me down. I'm going to take a trail line with me and then 
send the pump down. I'm going to disconnect the pump. I'm going to take one end of the trail line, hook it to the harness of the pump, and the other end to my talent hook. And then I'm going to swim the pump over to the boat. And the way the trail line is bundled, it comes out perfect. Like it just, so as you swim it away, the pump's over here, right? I'm pulling the trail line out. As long as you swim with your fins and get the job done with intent, mm-hmm. it comes out perfect. So and you got onto the boat with not the trail line, like all the way dragged out yet. So you could pull so, the pump so, in. Um, so at the end range, so as long as you communicate with the crew, like, Hey, I need to be close, like yeah. about a hundred feet away. Yep. Um, so yeah, I probably had to swim dragging the pump, you know, I don't know, 20 yards or something, but it wasn't bad. So I got to the, got to the boat, pulled the pump in, got it going easy day. Never heard anybody do that before. <laughs> and, uh, that's awesome. And I did the, I did the same thing on another case in East city. Um, you know, like a catamaran, like the mass is taller than the boat is long. Yeah. So we couldn't do it indirect, mm-hmm. right. Without the trail line getting in the rigging. So I talked over with the crew. I had, I was lucky because the FM was, uh, had the FEB. So it kind of had some backing, you know, he's an mm-hmm. AMT one or AET one. And, uh, the AEO was uh, in the right seat. And I said, hey, I've done this before. It worked. They're like, all right, knock it out. Worked like a champ. Worked like a champ. Yeah. call that? Like the swimmer augmented <laughs> double know. deployment of the pump to the water? Yeah. You know? I don't know. Sapu or something? There's, <laughs> probably, there's probably some Master Chiefs right now. They're like, oh, my God. Yeah, cringing in their yeah. chairs right now. Yeah, but uh, um, non-standard movement. Let me just say that. But uh, yeah got the job done so i mean that's what ahar is all about you know out of the box thinking that's true yeah i mean rob you've you've uh, did a tour up in sitka right i'm sure you've seen things up there that you weren't expecting to see or rescues that you weren't quite expecting to have yeah um, yes sir how um do you got any specific ones that you remember uh, distinctly that you i mean i've heard of uh somebody getting stuck in like a little inflatable tugboat thing or maybe i got that wrong but there was a 19 year old that you saved um, that I remember out of Sitka and there's a couple other cases as well. Oh, how did you find out about we that? Do our yeah, we do yeah, our it research. It seems like here. you guys are doing some research. Well, we actually research. try. Over Sorry. It was sometimes. a Rubbermaid fish tote. It was. Thank yeah. You. Oh, yeah. dang. There was I, I get like nothing spectacular about my effort when it came to that. The, no. the real spectacular thing about that case was the, the survivor we found who spent what, 26 hours by himself in a Rubbermaid and, we, he was fine. He was, he was a stud. He, was he uh, hypothermic? Uh, he was a, a mi- like very mildly hypothermic, but he was alert and oriented and ready to get out of that fish tote. So I, I, he was the, the real hero in that situation. That was, that was awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Sitka is a unique AOR in that um, a lot of what the Coast Guard gets tasked to do is medevac people from these little villages so uh, we, uh, as the AST shop there operates at the EMT2 level under the Alaska state guidelines. So you can manage IVs and. Oh, okay. You're, uh, you're, you go through extra training for you that? You do. Okay. Yeah, yes, sir. Um, and it's super critical to, to have that skill set up there because um, civilian medevac does great things. They, they do a lot up there, but if the weather gets bad, it's you guys. It's us. Yep. And we will get the same cases that they would typically take like a critical care nurse to manage. Mm-hmm. And it's just some dude like me who's like, <laughs> yeah. you know, a degenerate <laughs> trying to do something like that. So it's going to be okay, folks. I got this. <laughs> it, 
it was a, it was a good experience for sure. So I, I guess I checked a lot of those boxes for, yeah. for having some, some cases that weren't typical for you the got, lower 48. You got any favorite, uh, favorite cases up there? I did have a case, uh, that kind of popped up out of nowhere. I, I was sitting in the BA seat for a pattern beater and on a duty day and we watched the weather come down and we watched civilian medevac fly back in and land mm-hmm. while we were in the pattern. And they immediately were like, Hey, we got this case that's going on in Pelican, which is this little town. Um, so we landed and picked up the flight mech and it was a medevac of, a uh, an older survivor who had, uh, had a heart attack. I, I might be remembering some of these, uh, details a little off, but we ended up having to fly through, uh, basically like the inside of a marshmallow. Like we couldn't <laughs> see anything and we, we barely had contact with the, uh, with the, the ocean. You know, we, we, yeah. we flew around on the outside of the, the inside passage because it was so socked in on our usual routes. We had to go out and around. Wow. And, um, and we, we ended up getting on scene. We, we took an AMS, which is our aviation mission specialist um, up there in Sitka. We flew with Corman. Okay. Yeah. And uh, it ended up just being kind of a, like a gnarly um, medevac. We, we went and the guy had been shocked multiple times with an AED before we got on scene Whoa! and we didn't get that word. We heard that he was stable. Like he had been shocked, but it was stable and uh, he was not stable. So uh, we kind of picked him up real quick. We had to shock him immediately and hustle him into the helo. And, and the flight mechanic had to con the helo down on this tiny little pad to get us there in the first place, which was a heroic effort on his part. Mm-hmm. And um, we were flying with the uh, the skipper at the time. And it was just a just a good case. A lot of good crew coordination. Everybody worked together really well. And yeah. um, the transit back, he coded three times at least in the back of the helo. So we were, we were shocking him and we landed in Sitka and the ambulance rolled up and they had these super awesome medics that worked out of the, the ambulance there. And they, they rushed in and we all kind of worked together to get this guy to the ER. So we're all in the back of a, a civilian ambulance working on the same patient. So mm. it's, it's been, it was like this, like, Hey, we're starting in this little clinic and then we're getting in the helicopter and now we're getting them into the ambulance and then we're getting them into the ER and then we're, working in the ER for a little bit. And then they were able to um, get an airway on the guy. And, and I, I couldn't believe it, but the guy ended up surviving. Wow. And it was wild. And it was one of those cases where like the flight mech was doing chest compressions. I was managing the airway. The AMS was letting us know when the guy coded needed to be shocked. And the pilots were doing this awesome job flying us through terrible weather. So it was just, just a great case, you know, that's incredible. Good, um, good crew coordination. Nobody yeah. saw the fist bump, but there was a big fist bump between <laughs> Senior and Rob right there. That was uh, a good one. Like a proud you father deserve moment. Yeah. Yeah, a proud know, dad man. moment. <laughs> I, I played a very, very tiny, tiny role in that. It was a really big effort. It was, well, you are probably the humblest uh, rescue swimmer I think I've ever met, Rob. Uh, and so, so annoying. I just, gosh, <laughs> Rob, just take some credit for it. I, I, you know, we, Rob and I have had a lot of discussions about like, Rob, like everyone in the rate wants to be like you. Like you're the guy, man. You know? Oh yeah. No. And uh mediocre means, at best. On my no. best day, I'm the That's most what I mediocre. Usually say, right? <laughs> yeah. I'll ask okay him, as hey, pilot. I'll ask him, hey man, how how did that turn out? He'd be like, adequate. Adequate. I'm like, no, man, it's not <laughs> adequate. <laughs> Phenomenal, you know? So. Yeah, you saved that guy. 
That's um, awesome, man. That's a that's an amazing story. Yeah. Uh, I I was it was just a testament to the cruise, you know, the Coast Guard and, and what we do, and and yeah. it's you know again, I, like I played a very tiny tiny role in that. It was it was a big effort, and and it was cool, and it was one of many cases like that up there. That's one of the things that makes Sitka such an awesome place to go and get stationed because. You're, you're, we're, we were busy up there doing that kind of stuff all the time. Yeah. I mean, you guys um, kind of dove into the whole CRM concept and how important it is to work together as a crew for affecting those pretty gnarly rescues. Have you guys had any situations where the CRM wasn't as good? So maybe you guys didn't fit together as well as a, as a tight-knit team. And then um, if you didn't, don't worry about it. But if you did, how did you work through that um, situation? Or how do you... How do you remedy that or pass it on to other people? Um, I, I guess I haven't experienced that so much uh, on actual star case, but I have definitely had that like just, you know, in the pattern or in training um, yeah, and training stuff. And uh, hopefully you have a pilot or flight back that's able to receive some criticism. Yeah. Um, and some aren't, I'll be honest, like some are just not. And, and I mean, are, it goes for the front seat people too. I mean, it's not just you guys in the back. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, yeah. um, you know, like I said, sometimes uh, you need to have those hard discussions with them. Like, man, you're not listening to me. Or, hey, what you're doing was unsafe. And when I called you on it, it didn't seem like it, it made a difference. Mm -hmm. So on the flip side, I have had some good, um, like right before I left Detroit, we almost flew into a tower and I was really shook after that. And... Uh, Mr. Bondera, who's just a phenomenal pilot, phenomenal human. Mm -hmm. uh, he was AC and I was like, sir, we need to land. And I was like, we're not in a good place right now. And he's like, I agree. And uh, wrapped it up, landed at Cleveland airport and called back to sector and said, hey, we're not the best asset for this. And and uh, I just really appreciated that. Like that was, uh, um, yeah, that was a close one for me. And uh, just, he was receptive. He could tell that I wasn't comfortable. Um, and the flight mech was pretty junior. And I think the co-pilot was not super experienced, but when I told, you know, Mr. Bondera, like, Hey, it, I'm, we need to, we need to get out of here. Um, yeah, I agree. And we landed. So that yeah. was cool. It's a great example of it. Rob, you got any uh, examples of good or bad or. I feel like I've been pretty fortunate, sir. Um, I think Rob's incapable of saying anything negative. No. So. I'm certainly seeing the ego kind of surface. Um, but again, not, not on a SAR case. Usually people are able to, to function at a higher level because the stakes are, are, are what they are. Um, and, and I've also been very fortunate. So I was at a three helo 60 unit in Sitka mm -hmm. and then I went to Traverse city and that became a three helo 60 unit. And, um, everyone was really tight and I've, I've flown with amazing pilots and amazing flight mechanics my mm -hmm. entire career. Um, so I'm, I feel like I'm pretty fortunate. I've, I've been in some situations where the pilots and the flight mix that I, I was in those situations with and, and flight surgeons and AMS members, like when we see each other, we hug each other because that's the kind of environment that we serve in. Yeah. Um, even with the whole rank structure kind of being what it is, um, it's it, the things that we do transcend that. And I think that most people are able to key into that when it counts and check the ego. And, and so I haven't encountered that operationally. Yeah. I've learned the most from like swimmers and flight max giving me feedback. Yeah. It's I mean, brutally honest. And yeah, really it's just what well I needed to place. hear in the moment that I needed to hear it. And 
sometimes it's hard to receive that. But that was one of the big lessons learned I, I had when I was younger. But Rob, you've flown both 65s and 60s a significant amount. Is there a difference in the culture or just like a mindset or can you speak to that a little bit? Um, I, there is a difference for sure. Um, and I think that's predicated on the swimmer's role in the plane. Um, so in a 60, we're running the radios, we're running the EOIR, the sensor package. Um, I think that there is opportunity for swimmers to be more integrated into that crew position on the 60. That's not to say that there aren't squared away swimmers on the 65, um, but just the way that that aircraft is configured, you're not dialed in. Um, it might change with the echo and, and the new um, changes that are coming down the line. Um, but I, I would say that my experience at a six unit, um, it's, it's a little bit tighter just from what I found. Um, uh, cause again, three kilo units, hard not to be tight with everybody yeah. there. Absolutely. That was three unit or three kilo unit up in Humboldt and such a tight, tight community. Like you have a rough flight, you go back to the bar and you hear about it. You know, someone else says, oh man, that was a rough flight. I'm like, you weren't even there, man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I had a lot of those. I'm sorry. What about you, everybody? Uh, There's definitely a different mentality, but I don't know if it's. I mean, look, we're both 65 pods. You can just say we're better. I mean, that's. Oh, that's fine. Okay. it's definitely different between the two. I don't necessarily it's uh, I don't necessarily think one's worse than the other. To Rob's point about how what the RS's role in the in the in the back of the plane in the 65, if I had a radio, I'd be making, you know, asking the questions and stuff like that, but I don't. So I just tell the flight mac like, "Hey, ask him this. Hey, ask him this. Hey, sir, you know, up front, we should be looking out for this, this and this." So I think it's really the mentality of the swimmer. Like you can sit in the back and just be worthless, or you can sit in the back and be an active part of the crew and, and be engaged. So, um, yeah, be that guy who spots the person in the water that we're searching for. Yeah. 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 Or even like, Hey, are, did you clear this airspace? Mm-hmm. Um, in Detroit, we border Canada. Not only that, right across Lake St. Clair, you have these, you know, 600 foot, I think there's 600 foot, uh, windmills. So when you're taking off in the goo, Hey, let's make sure we're clear of those. Hey, let's make sure that we're clearing, uh, you know, Ontario's airspace and stuff. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like I said, I think it's up to the swimmer to be engaged as much as they can. And, and, uh, on the 65 side, I think a lot of that comes with experience. I will say that I have sat in the swimmer seat in the 65 and it is hard to stay awake sometimes in that seat back there. You know, you're just feeling the vibrations, of the helicopter and I don't know what you mean. Yeah. You're so far away from everybody. You don't know what I mean. Obviously. I'm totally kidding. I, I've I, never, I, ever had a swimmer fall asleep. On yeah. Right. I mean, the yeah. front it's seat, the front seat is equally as tiring. So sometimes, you know, you doze off up there, but I digress. Um, hey guys, where do you see uh, the swimmer rate going in the next five to 10 years? What's your goal? Senior. I mean, you're in charge of the stand team right now. I want us to be trained and proficient and comfortable in any environment that they that someone could see i think that we can't train for everything clearly but we can do our best to prepare our members with the tools to think outside the box right to affect the rescue i would like to see us operate more independently of the aircraft especially like in the inland and urban start like hey sit us down and then 
go orbit. We'll call you on the radio when we're ready. Um, sometimes I think, uh, you know, and again, it's, I think it's a paradigm shift. Um, Hey, sometimes like we got to be right here and hovering right for you. No, you don't like, let us operate. Let's, let's secure the patient. Let's, you know, so we, you know, we can take your helmet off, take your earplugs out to communicate with the people on the ground. Um, especially when you see like those boys in Clearwater who just deal with the Haiti thing, like, Hey, let us triage patients. Let's, and then we'll call you when we're ready. I guess, I think that's the biggest thing. I think I would like to see us, um, that paradigm shift where we work more independently of the aircraft. Um, maybe something happens, 60 loads up with, Hey, I need six RSs. We're going to go do this. Mm -hmm. Okay. Plane takes off. And then we have established something on the ground where like, Hey, this is our, I think in other services, they call it the talk tactical mm -hmm. operation center. Um, but we established something like that said, Hey, these are our patients. These are our priority. And, uh, I feel like the, uh, Canadian coast guard does that pretty well too. Oh yeah. With their, uh, their rescue guys. Cause they, they'll send them all out and there'd be like six of them on scene. Yeah, kind of affecting that same rescue. Yeah, their SARTECs are very well trained. Very yeah. much so. Yeah. So, speaking of that, do you guys want to do like parachute training? Because they they can jump out of planes, right? Is that the next step for the rescue swimmer rate? Uh, I wouldn't say no. <laughs> uh, that would be fun. Um, but I I think to 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 back senior up with the paradigm shifts. Like it, we've actually had conversations where we we consider like, hey, maybe we just need to start with a name change, like rescue specialist, rescue technician, because. Yeah. We're getting Whoa. pigeonholed into this whole rescue swimmer, which is great. And and the legacy and the heritage that 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 we are are coming from is like I I am honored to be part of that. But the world we live in now, we're getting asked to do more things that aren't necessarily rescue swimmer esque. Mm -hmm. So um, there's there's a dogma to be for when we ask for things like, Hey, we need this kind of training. It's like, well, you're a rescue swimmer. It's like, well, if you run my flight log, most of my SAR cases have all been land-based. Um, that's not to say that I haven't been in the water. Mm -hmm. Um, but, and I think that's not atypical. I think that swimmers are doing more things that are more diverse and to have that mindset like, Hey, this is a rescue specialist. We're going to send them to a, inland navigation school or something yeah. like that. So I don't see that happening uh, while I'm in, um, but that's, that might be the direction that we're heading in is a more well-rounded skill set to, to match the things that we're being asked to do already. Yeah. I, I like that a lot. Cause I feel like the community, um, you know, the, the civilian and community out there running boats, whether it be commercial or uh, pleasure craft, they're, out there following a lot more stringent safety regulations that have been probably in place by the Coast Guard over the last 30 years that has made it less likely to put you guys in the water to go do a rescue, right? There's less opportunity, which is a good thing for the Coast Guard for us to go out and make those rescues. Whereas we're having, uh, you know, more hurricanes, we're having a greater increase in inland rescues that test a different skill set for you guys that may not be trained regularly or you know, predominantly for the, the rescue swimmer rate. So, I mean, if you look at uh, Hurricane Florence, right, or not Hurricane, uh, was it Hurricane? Yeah, it was Hurricane Florence where they had that real bad flooding in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. They're doing patient transports. They're doing all this inland stuff. Yeah, I think that is the path forward. The title of rescue swimmer, that was the objective upon the initial implementation of our program. Like, hey, you know, it was 
after the Marine Electric, you know, sank and I think it was 1983, Congress said, hey, you guys need to come up with a rescue consumer program. Okay, well, you guys are going to be using in the water. And we did very well. We served that function. But now it's like, oh, man, you guys are really able to serve in these other arenas and these other theaters as well. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think that's where I would like to see it go. So, yeah. Um, very much Coast Guard-esque, right? Jack of all trades. Master of all trades. Master yeah, of, I was going to say master of all. You can't finish that. Same I thing, know. You know <laughs> but also, like, swimmer school is hard. It's notoriously hard. Uh, and that, Rob, you said they're found, you know, not made always. But, like, that is a demanding school to get through. And people have questioned that before. You know, and I, I'm pretty sure that just listening to this conversation, it's obvious why that's so important. But do either of you want to speak to that at all? Sure. Because I know it's changing, you know? Yeah. So, you know, I, I think it's no secret now. RS school is uh, going to uh, Chase and Petaluma. Um, people might have their own thoughts about that. But um, I guess this is where I kind of come to terms with. But um, the RSTF, the Rescue Summer Training Facility, is this awesome facility. It has all this, like, bells and whistles of, like, these waves and, and a tower and all these things. Before that, it was this disgusting eight and a half foot deep crap pool that produced some of the best men and best operators this organization has ever seen. And women. And women. Excuse me. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. (laughs) And women. No, dude, you're you're absolutely correct. And women. And um, it's, it's the instructors that make the students. As long as it's RS instructors out there that understand the demands of the job and understand what we're looking for, that have faith in their senior leadership to help support them, the rate is going to be just fine. And I believe that. Um, like I said, I, I you know, Petaluma is always tough for aviators, um, especially ASTs. Sometimes we're the culprit of that. But I believe that Rob and I are very passionate about our community and about our job. I believe every AST is like that. I believe every risk consumer is like that. And they're going to make sure that the standard does not slip. Mm. Um, so after thinking about it, um, that's what I've settled on. So, yeah. Um, and if it does, that's when stand team comes in. We maintain the standard of the fleet. So, And they've got great surf and turf on Fridays at Petaluma. So for those who don't know, the uh, culinary specialist or our chefs of the Coast Guard train out in Petaluma. So yeah, you can replenish all those calories from when you, you guys, guys burn a lot of calories. Out, you know? So when I was at the schoolhouse, they actually did this study because it was like a contract gallery in the city. And well, while I was, let me back up. While I was there, they, they did this huge, like six month, very intensive study about why a school is so hard and all mm-hmm. this stuff. And they went through everything. I mean, they went through our, our curriculum. They went through our instructions, all that stuff. And they couldn't pinpoint one thing of why the attrition rate is what it is. But one of the things that they did come up with was how uh, um, deficient uh, the students were and their food intake and it was, you know, it was something to do with the, with the galley. And then when you're on base, because they have a galley, they took away the students' BAS. Mm-hmm. So, so they can't go out and buy their own food. You can't buy your own food and then they're not getting enough at the galley. So maybe that's something, maybe that's a good thing that, yeah. you know, Petaluma can help out with. That's so. a good point. Um, brings up a random question. How many guys do you guys start with in your swimmer class when you went through a school and how many finished? What? So I was there from, uh, 13 to 17, we would start with 24 and we would typically finish between 
three and six. So three um, out of twenty four is. I'm not doing that math, man. I'm a pilot. Yeah, that's. I don't know, like a thirty. So billion. it's about eighty percent. Twelve percent. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. So here, here's the crux of that, and this is, and, and these numbers get lost a lot. In Rob and I's generation, when someone would show up for the airman program, they would cut twenty four sets of orders for an airman program because back then they would convene a class of twelve, right? So they cut, would cut 24 sets of orders, knowing that half these airmen weren't going to get out of the airmen program. Mm-hmm. And so that was already kind of a cut. So you have 12 guys showing up to A school that are already reasonably trained and proficient in the water. And then from that, you might, you know, you probably get between five and six. So when you remove the airmen program and you just have 24 people show up, it, it makes sense. The math sense. is still the yeah, same. Math. Yeah, the yeah. math is still the same, but that kind of gets lost in translation sometimes. We'll say from a pilot perspective, you know, we're talking about ORM in the last podcast with some of the 60, 60 guys and, and Derek from the 65 side. And your level of training and what I've seen you guys be able to do and the girls be able to do in the, both in the water and inland, like that seriously affects my risk-gain decision-making, you know, and what my confidence and it's scary, you know, putting one of you guys in the water at night and just knowing that I wouldn't want to be there, but in what you're able to do and accomplish and the attrition rate that you've kind of suffered through, like that means a lot to us from the pilot side. And at Ahars, what I've seen you guys do, that gives a lot of confidence up front for us when we're in that moment. So as a, as a plug for what it's worth from the pilot's perspective, you know? Yeah, I still want to know how many People oh, yeah, Rob didn't answer that. With Rob, in your uh, class. Oh, did, were you asking specifically for my class? So yeah, well, was, yeah, yeah, both, yeah, yeah, both yeah. of your classes. Oh. Well, uh, we started with 12, graduated four. 12 to four. Ours was a little non-standard at the time. We started with 12 and we graduated seven. So we had a pretty strong class. Dude, this nice. strong class. There you go. That's great. Yeah. And I would say, sir, that it goes both ways. That discussion um, about even going out the door, like, I'm trusting you with my life as well. So that's, that's just another thing about the Coast Guard and the missions that we do that is awesome because I wouldn't go out the door if I didn't trust you or the flight mechanic. So it goes both ways. And, and if that breaks down at any point, then what are we doing? Yeah. Yeah. So Rob, I'm a junior rescue swimmer listening to this podcast uh, and you've been in for 19 years already. Um, what advice do you have for that AST three out there? Um, that's an awesome question, sir. Um, I would say be grateful for the job that you have. Don't take it for granted. Mm -hmm. You earned your spot as did everybody else. Um, and our time here doing this job is finite. It will end one day. And we follow a long lineage of very brave aviators who have done this without NVGs, flying out into the dark ocean, probably smoking cigarettes, ruining their night vision. Like <laughs> it's just an awesome thing that like this heritage that we're part of. Right. So if you let your ego get in the way of you progressing, if you take it for granted and you start leaning on your flight hours or your experience, your SAR cases, mm -hmm. and that's your reply to a question, um, it's either time for you to check your ego or move on. Mm -hmm. So you're doing yourself a disservice by leaning on that. Um, and you're, you're not 
honoring this lineage that we're all a part of. Yeah. So I would say focus on gratitude. And like when I show up, I'm so grateful to work with the people I work with and everything that I do when I show up at work, it has to do with saving people. Mm-hmm. And that's just an awesome thing. And uh, it's easy to lose sight of that. But if you focus on expressing gratitude when things are kind of gross or you're having a rough day, um, it's easier to remember why you're showing up to do what you do. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I feel like that can expand to anybody in life. Express gratitude. That was amazing life advice. Yeah, thanks for that. You. You'd be my guru for the rest <laughs> of the time. Here. What about you, senior? What do you got for that young third out there? Uh, I would say continue to push. Um, I think it's really easy to think like, oh, I'm here. I'm qualified. I'm standing duty. That That's awesome. Everyone mm-hmm. else in your shop's done the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, so continue to push. Uh, volunteer for everything. Volunteer for different flights. Volunteer for different opportunities. Um, and and train hard. Like, And when I say train, I mean... I, I, I don't like to use the term workout because that kind of implies that you don't have uh, like a specific objective. Um, when I say train, I mean, get in the gym, focus on your deficiencies, get better, get stronger, get faster, whatever, whatever you chink in your armor that you have. Um, yeah. I would continue to train hard um, because that will give you the uh, mental fortitude mm-hmm. um, to go in that dark place when you need to. You know, when you need to get to that dark place on scene to get the job done, um, you know, if you've been in the gym and you can push it and you know that you can persevere and suck it up, you can do the same on scene. So nice. that'd be my, that'd be my advice to the young, young kids, young kids out there. That was an amazing way to, to end it. But I, I did have another question though. Was like, um, we've been talking a lot about just learning always, um, you guys learn anything this week that I think just you're so senior, you know, and, but I love asking senior guys like, Hey, what did you learn this week? Cause I know I, I'm not senior, but I, I learned a ton. Um, uh, I think the biggest thing I've, I've learned, um, and, and this is, I don't know if this is the angle that you're looking for, but just, I know that you guys are amazing. I know that the, my guys are amazing. I know the flight mix, but getting to see them in this element is awesome. Like it is the coolest thing ever. And it just, it's reinforced. And it's something that I've relearned of how truly professional and subject matter experts Mm -hmm. everybody here is. And I'm super excited for the students coming because they're going to learn from the very best. And I mean that like, it's, it's really, really cool to get to hear the discussions, to get to be sitting in the plane, to get to see it all come together and to think like, man, this this young guy or this young pilot, this young flight mech, they're going to get to experience all this. And they're going to get five days of it, of things that they're not probably not going to get at their home unit. And they're going to take away the skills that they're going to learn here. It's going to save somebody's life. Mm-hmm. Either their own or somebody else's. Consistent as gravity. It'll happen. And uh, so I, I just, I knew that. But getting to relearn it while I was here, it was awesome. It was super cool. So. I definitely got schooled up on some physics during oh, no. the vertical surface <laughs> lecture, sir. <laughs> I've been teaching that uh, module for a minute and uh, yeah, the whole thing about the G loading. And that was, that was fascinating to me, sir. So 
was illuminated by that. And and the training aid was also very cool. I don't understand it, but it was very cool. Me, and me sitting in front of the classroom, just like walking around with a rope and, yeah. and making was like spin. Yeah. Just lifting and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. With the nut. I thought that was very cool. I, I didn't know that. So that was definitely something that yeah. I learned. Yeah. I like that. Cause you can learn something new every day. And when you think you have stopped learning something new every day, then something, something's gone wrong. Like, you know, sure. wires have crossed and, and you're not doing what you should be doing anymore. Cause it doesn't matter how old you are. You're going to learn something. I try and ask myself that question a lot of like, what did I, what did I learn today? Just because I think I take for granted some of the flights, some of the, just some of the things we do. Yeah. But also not to leave everyone hanging with Rob in the physics conversation. It was just, we were discussing how to arrest a pendulum with a swimmer on the hook or a swimmer and survivor. And we have found that climbing usually helps um, just uh, kill the pendulum. And if you're having a really bad day with a spin or an oscillation, getting through ETL is a great way to do it because you get the rudder wash off those guys. But obviously that's situationally dependent. But yeah, I won't draw all the angular momentum diagrams because I'd get lost and I'd also be wrong. So I was <laughs> hoping that you were going to explain that, sir. I, I couldn't have done it as well as you. <laughs> so, uh, so I got questions for you guys. Oh, oh no. Let's hear it. Uh, where do you see the RS as pilots? Pilots who's, you know, stars on the rise here in this organization. Uh, oh, oh, no. hey, we're yeah. Straight off the cliff. <laughs> That's yeah. an awesome question. <laughs> no, That's just, really good. Like, where, where do we see it? You know, as the guys up front, where do you want to see our program grow? Have you ever seen uh, that San Andreas movie with, with Dwayne, The Rock Johnson? Where he hoists himself down? Yeah, where he's <laughs> the like, greatest man ever. He, he, he pushes the auto hover, jumps in the back of the plane, hoists himself down, goes back up and then flies home, right? Like, yeah, man, I just want to sit on my couch and watch you guys do cool stuff all the time. <laughs> <laughs> you guys should be more like Dwayne. Uh, sorry, that was just a joke answer. Sam, I'll let you start. You want me to start? Okay. Um, the thing I like about the the rescue swimmers uh, the most is you guys are always consummate professionals and you guys always, I think it's inherent in the way that you guys train because you guys are always training, right? And we're always jealous as pilots. Oh, you guys got like four hours a day to go to the gym or do whatever the heck. You're going to go tan out on the beach or you, know, you got to look good in your short shorts. But to be honest, like you guys are always so dedicated to your craft um, and you're um, one of the best groups in aviation that has that single-minded focus. Um, and what I want to see with the swimmers is that you guys one continue that focus and then you continue to bring that focus to uh, flight mechs and pilots. Right. So I think pilots are probably the most susceptible to losing that track of that single-minded focus, right? We've got our OER to care about. We got that collateral duty that we got to care about. Right. But at the end of the day, when we go out flying with you guys, what matters most is how good we are at wiggling the sticks and how good we are at the radios and managing fuel and power and how we're going to execute this case. Right. And all that other external stuff goes to the side. Um, and you guys are very good at separating that external stuff um, and pushing it to the side to focus on what's important, especially what you were talking about, senior. With hey, train to your weakness, right? Get into uh, into the gym to specifically focus on what that you're not strong at. Um, that mentality, um, you guys already do it, but I think you need to continue to push that towards us, right? Like continue to focus on that swimmer hoist that you're not comfortable in. That out here at Ahars, that swimmer hoist, that direct in ten foot breakers 
for physical grip relocation, we got to be quick, we got to be precise, and we got to get you out of the water, right? Um, focusing on those minute details, but very important details for us is is important, and it can get lost in a pilot's perspective with all of the other minutia that we have to deal with at a, on a regular basis. So um, I don't know if that was a long-winded answer. Yeah, but I'm going to give... That's awesome. I'm going to give a similar answer in that my singular most important mentor that I've had in the organization was a swimmer chief. Uh, it was Neil Cahoon. Oh, yeah. And he took me under his wing as like a first tour junior aviator. And he taught me about his job, what he did, what he was thinking, the flights he went on that he liked, that he didn't like. He showed me all his gear and like, this is what's happening. This is how I'm using it. And similar to what Sam was saying is that we can lose sight of trying to make ourselves better every day because I'm just as jealous as you guys in that sense. And I think at Mobile, we have a great opportunity. We are actively teaching more often and we can try to make ourselves better more often. But in the fleet, it's just like advice for a junior pilot is the same as advice for, or like what I would hope to see all the swimmers do is like take a pilot under your wing. You know, and the more I know about what you do, the better I am. And it has helped me so much to just learn and know what's going on in your brain and know what it is that you're good at, capable of, and what makes you trust me more helps me to like work hard in those areas. So that's what I would say is like keep pushing that information. I think the TTP, Rob, like you guys' advice and like recommendations in the TTP has been phenomenal because it's just, wow, we're sharing this information. You're taking the fleet under your wing with all of that advice that you've given. Um, that's what that's what I would say is like, that was, that has meant so much to me in my career. That's yeah, awesome. In typical rescue swimmer fashion, you guys turned our last question back on. Oh, I know. Was classic. <laughs> Sweet, guys. <laughs> Oh, I mean, it's not fair. You guys get to ask us all the questions. We do. We get to fire out. questions at you guys. Yeah, that would come me off guard. It made me a little nervous, too. I was like, yeah, man, you did great. You did great. <laughs> awesome, guys. So thank you for joining us and uh, giving us that insight into the swimmer community. Really Sorry. appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Thank right, you. Guys.